You're listening to Metal Matters, the official weekly Gimme Metal podcast. It's time again for another episode of Metal Matters. This week I have my friend Jackie Smith, fellow podcaster and all around uh, musical sort of uh, knowledgeable guy that I know. Good morning. So how you been doing during all of this uh, pandemic uh, hysteria that's been going on? Uh, not, not too bad. And uh, I mean, firstly, you know, thank, thanks for having me on. Um, and uh, to answer your question about uh, how I've been doing in the pandemic, I think um, in London where I'm based, uh, things have probably been a little less um, chaotic than uh, the impression I'm getting um, from, uh, from the news uh, as to how things are going in the U.S., um, I think our government has also been probably a little bit more relaxed as far as uh, the lockdown is concerned. So as of last week, Monday, I could start going back to the gym. Um, you know, they, they, they enforced people staying inside their homes, but, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, you, you weren't kind of limited too badly in, in how much you, you move around. And, and I'm pretty misanthropic at the best of times anyway. So uh, aside from having to take a, a bit of a pay cut um, in, my, in my day job, uh, in my, my, my regular lifestyle, with the exception of the gym, wasn't really affected all that much. So yeah, so, so, so far so good. Uh, you know, it, it did fuck up my 40th birthday plans. But other than that, I've got no complaints, really. I'm glad to hear. It's been a mixed bag over here in the States. Uh, most of the country is suffering through probably the most extreme days of this whole pandemic. New York State has done all four phases of its reopening plan. Things are kind of hanging in there, but uh, it's, it's still pretty dire over here in a lot of places. So we're not done with this thing. I, I am enjoying the progress that we made here in the tri-state area. And uh, so, so, Jackie, tell us about your show. Uh, I, I've been a guest on your show before, and um, it's a music-related podcast, and uh, I'll let you talk about it a little bit. Well, yeah, you, you hold the distinction of, uh, of uh, the, I think, the longest episode I ever recorded. It's like th- three hours and 27 minutes. Wow. So, it was, um, damn, really? Yeah, it was. It was the, uh, the, the, black, the black metal countdown special that we did. Um, so, you know, as, as, uh, as you could tell from, from, from that, um, you know, that kind of part of the conversation, uh, you know, the show is principally focused on black and death metal. I, I kind of I, I got the idea because for, for several years I'd been writing for, um, uh, you know, various music websites. I wrote for Chronicles of Chaos. I wrote for Metal Rules. Um, what I liked more than anything, uh, when I was doing that was conversations with, uh, you know, with, with the bands and doing interviews. And, uh, for a while I actually thought to, uh, pull the interviews off the dictaphone, uh, that I've been using and release that as a podcast. Um, but then I, you know, I, I was massively into long form podcasts like Joe Rogan, um, you know, and just, just conversation or, you know, conversational podcasts where you're not just talking, you know, you're not covering the talking points. So I'm, you know, I'm sure for you as a, a as an artist, as an example, I can't think of anything more fucking mind numbing and um, and tedious than having to do 75 interviews where somebody is asking you, you know, so why did you go to the studio to uh, record the record and why did you choose this producer and all that bullshit? So I wanted to kind of bring out the, the personalities of the people that that I I'm, that, that I like and and really just talk about the things that that I'm interested in and do something where I had the freedom to. Um, uh, run the show however I want, talk about whatever I want, not, not have to answer to anybody, not have to, you know, work to any deadline, uh, aside from anything that's, uh, that, that's self-imposed. 
uh, that's how uh, the show was born. So the show is called Into the Necrosphere. Um, there's new episodes that go up on YouTube every uh, Tuesday, and it also publishes on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, you know, and various other uh, podcasting platforms. So the the majority of the the, the audience is on uh, you know is on, on offline podcasting, as you can expect, because. Um, I, 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 I couldn't think of anything worse than having to stare at my face for two hours on YouTube. Um, you know, most people, you know, listen to long form podcasts while they're driving or doing other stuff. So, but yeah, you can, you can get it on those. And, you know, I mentioned self-imposed deadlines, uh, earlier, the, the, the deadline I give myself is every Tuesday, a new episode has to go on. Uh, and yeah, as you, as you know, Mike, you've been on there twice. I, I, I you know, I, I think I said it to you when, uh, you know, we recorded the first episode. I purposely don't prepare for it. I only interview people that whose music I, I I'm very familiar with, and you know, people that I, I I'm interested in and I know. And we, we kind of just let the conversation um, run its course. Um, you know, sometimes we we, we delve into uh, into things that I'm asked afterwards to cut out, which I'm, I'm always happy to do because I don't want to get anybody into trouble. But uh, I, I just I just find that makes for the most interesting. And the most different conversation and, and the, the best compliment that I could possibly have is from, you know, and I've had it fortunately from a few people that have come on where they're like, you know, that was, you know, one of the most enjoyable interviews I've done for a while, you know, would love to come back on. You know? And so that's if I could do something that the bands enjoy that I'm enjoy, then that satisfies me. Right on. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun on your on your podcast. So so that was definitely a good a good time. You know. So for this week, we're going to be doing classic record. Gorgoroth, Ad Majorum Satanis Glorium. That was actually maybe not the first record I heard by, by Gorgoroth, but it was the first one that I really like dug into. Like, you know, I was into Pentagram and Destroyer and all the, the records prior to that. But this, you know, and I listened to them and they were cool, but this is the one that I feel, at least within my musical world, it really put them on the map for me. Just a quick thing about uh, Gorgoroth. Formed in 1992 by principal member in Furness in Bergen, Norway. Uh, the name was taken from uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, the dead plateau of darkness in the land of Mordor. That's where the name Gorgoroth comes from. And I, I didn't realize this, but they're still active. I thought they actually broke up. But, um, but yeah, according to uh, Encyclopedia Metallum, Gorgoroth is still active. This particular record uh, came out uh, June 19th, 2006 in Europe on Regain. July 25th, 2006 in the U.S. on Candlelight. So it was a dual release. Program length, 31 minutes, 39 seconds. Now that's uh, of note because in previous classic records, we always note how long the records are. The records that came out in the 80s and the 70s, a little bit into the 90s, were in that 31-minute range late 90s, 2000, with the advent of uh, digital media and CDs and all that kind of, kind of stuff, we found records being close to an hour long at times. So by modern standards, I would consider Ad Majorum to be on the shorter side. And uh, what's to note about this record as well is um, Gaul and King of Hell wrote the entire thing. Uh, Infernus apparently had very little input on this record's uh, uh, writing, at least, not the production. That leaves us with the personnel. We have Gaul on vocals, Infernus on guitar, King of Hell on bass, and the return of the mighty Frost. He was the uh, session drummer on this record. And Frost, of course, uh, played in Satyricon in 1349. Two excellent bands. 
And uh, on the production size, we have uh, Herbrand Larson. He was the producer. And then a bunch of different engineers at different studios. We have Geyer Ludi, the drums at Lidrikett Studio, Bergen, Norway. Sven Solberg recorded guitar and bass at Steel Production Studios in Spiedberg, Norway. And then Herbrand Larsen, he did the vocals and mixing, and that was all done at Earshot Studios in uh, Bergen. Have you ever been to, uh, to Norway, Jackie? No, uh, and it was something that was ap- absolutely on my to-do list um, before this uh, COVID-19 bull mash read its head um, because I, I, I could have uh, finagled a, a work trip to, uh, to Sweden and Norway um, to go see uh, some clients there. And uh, it, like I said, very much on the cards. And the, and the plan was see, see clients and then, then go and see all the black metal sites in Norway. But um, now that was derailed. So not yet, unfortunately. I've never been either. I've been to all the other Scandinavian countries except for Norway. So um, someday I'd like to go up there at some point. And if things, this thing ever, ever passes, you know, it's definitely on my list. So uh, let's uh, run down uh, the tracks. The title of the record is Latin, is a, a sort of bastardized Latin for the phrase for the glory of Satan. Technically, it's incorrect as far as syntax go. In actual Latin, it's ad majorum satane glorium. But I guess uh, ad majorum satanus glorium sounds cooler. The uh, cover of the record was taken from the 1850 painting of uh, Dante and Virgil. And uh, that has to do with, uh, you know, Paradise Lost and the fall from Greece and all that. And the artist was William Adolphe Bourgereau. And, um, yeah, a lot of cool stuff about that. I find that in black metal, there's a lot of depth and a lot of layers to titles and artwork. And and, uh, that's one of the things that really, you know, really catches me with that style of music is the the esoteric nature of some of some of the work. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think Gorgoroth did it especially well on, on this record and on Twilight of the Idols that, that, that came up before this. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll go into the writing and to the, the different songs in a, in a second, I, I know. But, um, yeah, I think they – you and I once spoke about black metal as, uh, you know, using uh, Morgan for Marduk's analogy being a fist in the face – and I think what Gorgoroth managed to do extremely well on uh, in, in this era was to kind of combine that that real confrontational shock element with something that's very artistic and beautiful as as well. Um, you know, and this the, the culmination of all of that is this record. So let's run through the tracks real quick. As I said, it's a relatively short record, and uh, I'm going to run down the tracks real quick. It's eight tracks. Starts off with Wound Upon Wound, Carving a Giant, God Seed, Twilight of the Idols, Sign of an Open Eye, White Seed, Exit, Untamed Forces, Prosperity and Beauty. And that's uh, the record. It's all of its glory. Well, I mean, you can kind of look at the look at the record on, on its surface, which is it is a, a mostly fast and furious very aggressive, very atmospheric, and very violent black metal record. Um, but you can also kind of look at it, especially when you take into consideration tracks like Exit or, or White Seed, 
um, you know, where I think the band delved into a lot of different, um, a lot of different things, but things that, that weren't necessarily typical of the Gorgoroth sound. And and for me, in, I, I don't know whether they or whether this. I mean, it just certainly wasn't conscious that they that they did it. But I don't know whether it's. Uh, I don't know quite quite how to articulate it, but I, I feel like this record, in many ways, kicked off the 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 new golden age of black metal that I think is still going today. Um, I think up until 2005, when the when the record um, came out, or sorry, 2006, I should say. Um, black metal was starting to get a little bit boring. You'd kind of had that shock of the uh, Norwegian scene, um, you know, and all the, the controversy surrounding Varg and, and, and whatnot. Then you had most of the 90s, and there was there were good bands coming out, but there was, I, I felt it felt to me like the like the magic and the the danger was starting to disappear a little bit. And then in 2004, you had the the big controversy with Gorgoroth. Um, you know, being arrested for the the show that they did in uh, in Poland, you know, where they had the the naked people crucified on stage and the sheep's heads, um, you know, kind of lining the um, you know also kind of laid out in front of the monitors, and it, it it brought back this real like danger and this real menace to to, to black metal that I feel was missing, but it brought it it brought it in um, with a, a musical style that that I felt was a lot more. It was a lot more free and a lot more um, not not necessarily overtly experimental, but there was, but certainly for for Gorgoroth and, and kind of how they'd written music and how they'd you know done things previously, it, it was quite experimental for them. And then you it, you know you had the the kind of lightning rod in that of Gaul, who was just the, the perfect front man because it was a dude where when you look at the um, the Sam Dunn documentary or you look at uh, the the noisy documentary um, that uh, that Vice did on him. You know, he's a he's a dude that you looked at, and you know, if you didn't know if you didn't know black metal, you didn't know the extreme music scene, you would have been fucking terrified because he really looked like a guy that meant every single word that he was saying. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, it just I I feel like that was this was the album that that is that sort of jump started this this new this new age of greatness in in black metal because also as much as it brought that artistic piece in. Um, Gall said something that I've referenced a couple of times on my podcast, which is in that noisy interview, they ask him, what does black metal mean to him? And he says, um, you know, he does the, the, the classic wine sip and he goes, Satan. And then they, and then they ask him, you know, what does Satan mean to you? And he, and he said, freedom. And it's, it's almost like right after that, you start seeing all of these bands, even older bands like Marduk starting to experiment a lot more and black metal becoming just, just so much more open in terms of, you know, both, I guess lyrics, uh, uh, you know, attitude, musically, um, and it became the, the 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 tent seemed to broaden. But I feel like, in in a way, the philosophy was crystallized even more than before. I'm probably and uh, apologies if I'm if I'm rambling a little bit, but it's like it, it's. I was so into this album when it came out, and it's an album that I've kind of continued to revisit um, over the years. And I, I do think a lot about kind of what it what it kicked off because i really think it's 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 underrated in terms of its 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 significance in black metal yeah i i think this record well specifically gall let's let's talk about him for a minute uh gorgoroth in in a lot of ways sort of veered black metal away from the kind of pagan uh norse ideologies i think that were prevalent throughout the 90s you know like when you when you thought of black metal it was like all viking viking music and you know bands like enslaved and there was like they were leaning really hard into the pagan sort of uh norse mythology 
sort of vibe. And Gorgoroth was overtly satanic. But, um, you know, it's in other readings that I've done, Infernus classified himself as a Satanist. Gaul classified himself more as uh, what I would consider to be of the sort of Thelemic, Cronian ideology. Where they asked him about Satanism in, in, in an interview, and he says, well, you know, I feel that you know, I am my own God. I am Satan. I can be my own Satan. So that to me has a very much like this kind of uh, Thelemic, uh, Aleister Crowley inspired ideology. And uh, I feel like that that influx into the black metal world, I think, is was quite interesting as opposed to just, you know, goat heads and, and uh, which they did plenty of and uh, pentagrams yeah. and that kind of stuff. And another thing to consider as well is. Uh, what the Watain record sworn to the dark came out, I think a year after, after this record. And I think Gorgoroth had Gaul stayed in the band and sworn to the dark hadn't come out would have taken the place of Watain in popularity right now, because I think that, uh, he's the charisma, the charisma that he has. And they have, they had a similar sort of live thing going on with the blood and the, you know, just the theatrics yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I, I do think they brought some spe- some probably much needed spectacle back into black metal. Um, you know, the, the I agree with you. There was a probably a, a fairly overt leaning towards the kind of folky pagan Norse elements. And it, it kind of in some ways, I think it became a, a little bit safe, you know, and even even corpse paint in itself. You know, if you think of, you know, the way that Immortal looked, I mean, it was, there was nothing scary about that. But then. All of a sudden, you get these guys that are like half blood drenched, and the you know corpse paint smeared on their faces, not carefully painted on. And the stage show, you know, is is you know as I said, incredibly confrontational. I think they I think they they really sort of helped re- revitalize the aesthetic in black metal. Um, and I mean, th- this record could not have been released at a better time because it came right off the back of the controversy around the band. I mean, I know Gall had spent some time in in jail. Um, I think it was it was between this and uh, Twilight of the Idols, and then this album comes out, and it's just from start to finish, it's just bludgeoning, fucking brutal violence, but done in a in an in an incredibly precise, atmospheric way, um, which you know many uh, very often when I listen to it, I, I still feel like there's there's very very few albums that have been released since that that can top this album for me, as far as just you know uh, capturing a perfect half an hour of a of a particular genre is concerned though this record is not clearly not a death metal album i feel like the death there's like a death metal uh production sensibility and this might have been one of the first uh black metal records that i heard that actually sounded you know killer as as good as this record sounds you know their prior material had that very raw you know kind of um cult for lack of a better term vibe which i you know i appreciated but by the time by by the time 2005 rolled around i was kind of getting tired of listening to records that sounded like demos that recorded directly to cassette you know and uh you know emperor had stepped up their game with the production at that point um you know some of the later mayhem records but this one when, when this especially in in perspective of their previous work was a huge step forward when it came to production and i and me that's always something i appreciate you know yeah that that is um 
that I think you make a good point there. And this this record has has always reminded me, not necessarily musically, but certainly I, I, it, it feels to me to be a, a kinship between this album and uh, Once Upon a Cross by Deicide. So it's interesting that you mentioned the, the the death metal piece because I think almost in in some ways, you know, same number of tracks, same same roughly the same length of uh, of record, and actually the production is, is is quite similar as well. But I totally agree with you. I mean, the production helps make the album because if you had that lo-fi, you know, really trebly production that, that a lot of their records and a lot of the the records of the of the day had um, on this one, it, it, I mean, it wouldn't sound nearly as good. And again, the, it's a production job that still holds up to this day. Yeah, this is definitely my go-to. I mean, this one and in and uh, Insipid Satan, believe it or not, uh, are the two Gorgoroth records I find myself uh, drawn to as the years go by. Any any thoughts on Insipid Satan? I know that's a a divisive record for a lot of people. I like it. Um, I mean, I I like most records that they did from Destroyer um onwards um and I, i've got a funny story for you about destroyer actually so um back in uh this was kind of between 1999 and 2001 i was doing a radio show uh in south africa where i was where i grew up and where i was still living at the time um and uh the the show was was starting to get you know pretty good traction um and so somebody on the station asked us to come in uh one uh, tuesday morning um probably around about the same time that we were recording this um, and do an, uh, you know, do an interview and, you know, just talk about the show and, you know, promote it. It was, you know, it was on later at night, but, you know, as I said, had, had a decent number of people listening to it in spite of the, the racket that we were, uh, that we were playing. And anyway, we did the, we did the interview and, uh, I'm going to take the piss out of the South African accent in a second when I, <laughs> when, when I, when I imitate what this girl did, but she did the interview. She was perfectly nice. She asked us, do, do we want to do, you know, would, would we like to play a song, you know, that, uh, that represents what we, what we play on the show. And I said, yeah, I've got it right here. And I gave her the destroyer C- CD and I had her play the first track destroyer. Now bear in mind, this was mostly adult contemporary bullshit that was on this uh, on this radio station so it, it was in shops it was in offices you know it was like people would have the channel on you know in their in their place of work so at 11 o'clock in the morning this girl goes and now especially for jackie on the inferno which was the uh, the name of the the what's that, the show at the time uh we would like to play a song by gorgoroth called destroyer <laughs> oh my god you just saw her face just drop when that fucking song starts. And then obviously it, it kind of just goes from bad to worse because it's like crazy blasting and then you hear the explosion and then you hear Gull do, doing his thing. And it, it, fuck, it was funny. I think that I think she was probably quite close to having uh, PTSD after that. Uh, after that event, but sorry, that 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 that's the sidetrack off of Insipid Satan. But yeah, I, I, great great record. I think for me, Gorgoroth kind of always steadily built up. Then they got, you got Twilight of the Idols, which which was kind of an appetizer for for this masterpiece uh, that we are discussing today. This is uh, Gaul's last record with the band, and um, though Gaul was not the original singer, and as we all know, the band continued after his departure. I've always thought of him as the focal point in the band, even though it's te- technically it's Infernus's project. The body of work that he produced inside the band, I find that to be, you know, that that's pretty much the crucial era, really, is is with him, and specifically this being his kind of opus with his uh, tenure as the vocalist of Gorgoroth. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you. I think he, I, I, he, he, he was the band in many ways. You know, him, him and King. It was interesting that when when uh, when Gaul and King went off and did their own thing um, in Godseed, you know, it, it wasn't even close to to anything that they had done in uh, in Gorgoroth. Um, you know, and you kind of think I don't know whether it's a case of just circumstance being you know responsible for creating you know really really great art. Like you know, there's a, there's a lot of records like that. You know, away from black metal, you think of something like um, Appetite for Destruction by by Guns N' Roses, which I'm not sure if you're a if you're a fan of, but I like I often I often talk to people and you know they say oh you know it'd be so great if Guns N' Roses did a new record and I'm like no it wouldn't it would sound fucking terrible because unless you can get those guys in a in a studio and get them all addicted to drugs <laughs> and you know create that same level of craziness and chaos that was surrounding them that when when that record was was done it it wouldn't sound even it would sound terrible so I don't know I don't know whether you know whether Gorgoroth was kind of a product of its environment, you know, and, and that you, those, those elements that were there, you know, Gaul, King, there must clearly have been some level of, um, of tension between those two and Infernus, whether that was responsible for creating the, 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 this record, um, you know, or why Godseed seemed to stumble afterwards. But, you know, that, that, that being said, Goldsberg on a, is, is on a whole different, uh, on a whole different level. And I know you and I have spoken about that album before, but, yeah, that that to me is you know, Gaul reincarnated in many ways. That that record's amazing, and I think um, yeah, it's, I was going to ask you I, I was about his other the other work that he's done because um, I think that you know though Godseed faltered, uh, you know Gorgoroth after Gaul has faltered as well. You know, I mean uh, that uh, the the record after that. Um, that they put it that that was released with uh, Frank Watkins. Uh, that record particularly, you know, it's sort of disappointing, I guess, because I don't want to. I, th- I thought you were about to say depressing, which is exactly what I would have said. Yeah, <laughs> so... I mean, I was I was thinking about it. I, I also because you know Frank Watkins passing away, and you know he being a respected member of the metal world, I didn't want to disparage the record too bad. But yeah, I actually yeah. re-listened to that record uh, last night. And I was like, man, this—I um, just can't get get into it. You know, there, it's it seems like it, it almost seems like uh, a demo that Infernus made in his bedroom, and they just took his tracks and threw some stuff together. And it seems—it doesn't seem complete in a lot of ways. That you know, there's some decent riffs on there, uh, but it just doesn't doesn't seem very coherent, and it doesn't feel like the songs were finished, in my opinion, at least. No, I, I would agree with you on that. I mean, for for me, it's unlistenable. Um, and maybe it's because my expectations were so peaked when uh, you know when when it came out, and I was I was so looking forward to another Gorgoroth record with or without Gol. Um, and uh, I I could get. I mean, I remember the first time I I heard it, I actually had to to, to take because it was another one where I got a promo CD. I actually had to take the CD out and 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 double check that I was listening to Gorgoroth because it just sounded so weak. I mean, everything from the the riffing through to the production. I mean, the, the vocals sounded terrible. The, the whole, I mean, as I said, for me, Gorgoroth ended when King and Gaul left the band. And I think, you know, as far as, as, as Gaul, outside of Gaul's word is concerned, one, one record that I would very, very strongly recommend people check out if they haven't done already uh, is, a, is an album that came out in 2007 called Till Minna. Um, and that was in a project called Treldom. 
Um, Trelldom, I'm not sure if they're still carrying on, but but Gold was on their first two records, and Till Minna is is exceptional. It's a bit more, um, I think, introverted is maybe a a good way to to describe it. It's it's not nearly as aggressive as uh, as as Admiorum Satanus Glorium. Um, but there's actually there is actually some overlap on 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 Admiorum, for example, if you listen to uh, Carving a Giant, that kind of mid-tempo rumble that it has, a lot of tracks on the Admi- uh, on the Trail sorry on the Traildom record, uh, you know, have that same beat. Um, it's it's a it's a great 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 album, and and I think on a par vocally for him uh, with what he did on Admiorum. Yeah, and also Traildom, uh he was. Uh part of that prior that was like his pre-Gorgoroth work as well I mean he that was an existing thing he was dealing with uh Treldom officially is on hold so it's not necessarily disbanded or discontinued it's um something that might be revitalized at some point uh or it might not or it might just fade into obscurity like so many other things well I mean he's got a lot going on at the moment I mean he has his own I know he does his clothing line I mean he's like you know, into high fashion, which I don't know about you, but uh, that's not necessarily my game. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think he's a busy dude outside of music. But from, from my perspective, I, I would much prefer he just focus on making another Goldsberg record because that to me, I mean, one of the best records of last year without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and, and I think that if uh, if they carry on on the, on the trajectory that they were on on that album, you know, I think a second record, you know, would be tremendous. Well, dude, I, I wasn't going to put you on the spot here, but I, I and I thought this well before we started talking about um, you know doing the show together. But you and and Gall, I mean, I know you, you you always have some guests on Tombs Records, but you and Gall, I think could you know with, if you just did like one song together, I, I think would, you you could do something that would be absolutely extraordinary. I mean, I, I have massive amounts of respect for Gall. I mean, I, I also feel that. A lot of the same influences are um, are there, you know. I mean, that record, uh, you know, the Gallsverd record has like this, you know, Swans, Fields of the Nephilim, uh, David Bowie. I mean, I hear so much stuff on there, such a variety of different influences and colors and and all this other stuff on that record, and uh, and a lot of it comes from the same places that I I like I draw influences from and. And it, it, you know, that that with that said, it makes me think about uh, just some of the Gorgoroth stuff. Like, well, not specifically this record, but on Insipid Satan, there's a, there is like an industrial, dark ambient kind of vibe, like a gothic sort of flavor on a little bit of that record. And in Godseed, you can hear like industrial strains too. So it it kind of fortifies my idea that that he's he was just into like all this other stuff besides just like raw black metal and you know extreme metal and stuff like that yeah he seems from a lot of the things that i've i've seen with him and i i actually i i, I did actually briefly speak to him um and i said briefly speak to him i was supposed to interview him and this is probably where i learned the lesson of not over preparing for a uh for an interview uh when i was writing for chronicles of chaos i interviewed him and the interview, I mean, normally an interview that I did would last about 45 minutes to an hour. My interview with him lasted about 13 minutes. And I was, I was fucking devastated afterwards because I'd looked forward to it so much. Yeah. But it was just, it's one of those things where you, you, you are, you, as I said, I think I was overprepared and you ask questions and the conversation isn't going as you, as you wanted to. And it just, it, everything just falls flat. But 
the impression I took from that and that I've taken from a lot of uh, interviews and things that I've seen with him is he seems to have a real distaste for, I, I think, the traditional black metal scene. Um, or at the very least, uh, what he would see as um, the kind of stock standard stuff that's included in black metal. And I think that's why Goldsberg sounds so different and why he's not afraid to include, you know, any and any and all different, um, uh, you know, influences into into what he does. And, and I personally think that's really cool, which is and that's actually why I thought that the two of you could potentially do something, you know, pretty incredible together because I, I feel like, and I, I mean, I thought this before I, I got to know you, but I, I feel like there's a lot of similarities probably in the way that you, you guys approach music. And I, and I would, I would waver a guess and say probably quite, you're quite similar in the way that you, you, you know, approach life. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of confidence that you have. I I appreciate that, Jackie. Definitely. I've never met the man. And, uh, if we ever, uh, get out of this, uh, underneath this, black cloud of existence that we have right now and start playing shows again and doing these fests it might be cool to meet someone like that you know at one of those european festivals because that's that's how i imagine uh Galsberg to be operating i don't i don't imagine them touring the united states and playing you know playing like detroit or something like that or or uh menominee or some random town like on a full-blown 30-day trans u.s tour I imagine them just being a, a festival type band, or they they did tour across Europe. Um, unfortunately, something came up, and I, I wasn't able to go to the show. But they opened for Mayhem uh, here in London, and I know they played quite a few shows across Europe. And apparently, they're they're live shows. So uh, there's a tattoo artist um, named Leorsifer who he he did uh, some of my arm, and it's it's I've I've become really good friends with him. Um, he's known Goal for quite a few years. He did an art installation at Goal's art museum in, in Norway. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's seen Goal's work play plenty of times. Uh, he said it's fucking incredible. He says they do some Gorgoroth stuff, some Traldom, some Goal's work, but he says they, they do some Dark Throne. Um, I don't know whether they've done any Burzum, but they throw in like a couple of, you know, really sort of old school covers as well that obviously sends people nuts but I, d I don't think he's entirely averse to playing you know a couple of shows i can't imagine him playing in detroit but no, no, definitely I, not. I think you would find detroit quite distasteful well yeah that's that's what i mean like i could see him you know flying over to do maryland death fest or something like that yeah. or or but i don't see i mean it's a it's um it's a real slog uh traveling here in the states a lot of areas of the country and, and and that's the other thing too just on like a financial basis uh if you stick to the coasts you know you, you run up and down the east coast you fly over to the west coast as if you're you know a european band uh because the expense is so great to come over here you know and yeah. um and and the dollar versus the euro and and uh, you don't really make as much money so it if i were him you know i would stay in europe <laughs> i would just tour over there and I would uh, entertain these offers of playing these festivals and um, issuing the trek through the middle of the country, which for the most part uh, can be a huge financial sink for a, a high dollar sort of tour. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, But yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I think if I were to ever meet Gaul, it would have to be in Europe. I don't think it would ever yeah, be yeah, in yeah. the States, you know. You'd have to make the trek up the mountain to that uh, that house on the hill that he lives in. Um, 
I don't. I don't think it, you, you know the one that they filmed him in uh, on the Vice documentary. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. That, that, that documentary. There was also I think thirteen forty nine was in that too. Or no, that was a different Vice thing where they had like a, in the practice space. Yeah. Um. Sort of. Uh. It was like a different show. That was like in. That was a period of time that was weird where black metal was like this kind of hipsterish. Hipsters were catching on to that. Like you would see a guy with a mustache and like a Burzum t-shirt, which I actually saw this in uh, walking around the neighborhood uh, formerly known as Williamsburg in Brooklyn, which yeah. used to be this like very hip, very, uh, you know, it had its couple year period of um, being the spot in New York City. And that's when Vice started uh, paying attention to all this stuff. So they had this episode of their practice space video thing where they were with uh, with 1349 in their practice space. And I can tell uh, I can tell Raven wasn't too excited about talking to those guys. If I lived on a mountainside, there's I would definitely drag these guys up through a, a, a uphill snowstorm to some shacks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's. That's exactly the kind of ordeal I would love to put someone through, especially from Vice. You know, some guy with oh, yeah. Chuck Taylors on and, and like the, you know, the brutal North, you know. That's also the interview, I think, where uh, right at the end, he asks Gall a question and Gall says to him, you're not asking the right questions. And he just stares off into the distance like a psycho. Yeah. Um, I thought it was fucking brilliant. But I mean, you know, to, to their credit. Vice did do some uh, yeah, fa- fairly daring stuff as far as uh, metal was concerned. They also did that one-man black metal documentary, and they had Leviathan on there. Um, uh, I can't remember who the other two bands were. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, remember, I remember them giving coverage to bands that, you know, you definitely wouldn't ordinarily see on anything other than, you know, a podcast like your, yours or mine. I, 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 um, I have conflicted feelings about Vice. I mean... Uh... I, I, yes, correct. I agree. They have definitely covered a lot of cool stuff. You know, they had that NOLA documentary, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, but, I love uh, that. But there, and I don't know if this actually was in the, I think it's in the documentary or someone, because I know some of the people involved in that particular project. But I guess, I guess um, my feelings about Vice were encapsulated by a story that I heard regarding Phil Anselmo when the crew showed up at his place to interview him for that, he opened up the door, he checked out the guys that were standing in front of him and he was like, hipsters. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> he's like, oh man, hipsters. And I was like- You, you do a fucking great for that song. And uh, I feel like that's kind of like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be that guy either, man, where it's like, yeah, I, I don't want to like uh, call anyone out about that, but I, I feel like they're they're like kind of when it comes to extreme music, they're they're kind of like a day late and a dollar short in a lot of ways. And by being a day late and a dollar short, you're right on time with the kind of uh, flavor of the month kind of people. You know what I mean? And yeah, I think yeah. that's and and that, that's got that's just a personal thing. I mean, I, they've done a lot of great work. You know, even outside of music, I think a lot of the stuff that they do with their uh, reporting, I think it's pretty interesting. I think you're right. I mean, you know, I, I take a, I, you, you sort of take the positive from, you know, from whence you can find it. But I, I think, firstly, I'm not sure you'd, you'd fit into Vice, uh, certainly not Vice in 2020, because you're not woke enough. No, definitely. Uh, and secondly, I think the, uh, you know, I, I think exposure is, is good. But then at the same time, I, I want no, 
you know, I've, I've joked about this on my on my podcast many times, it, but it's not really a joke. I want zero woke infiltration in in black metal of any kind whatsoever. Um, you know, black metal is, is, is for me is escapism, and it's um, you know there is a lifestyle. You, you, you and I touched on it before, and it's it's hard to try and put into words what it means to somebody that doesn't know. But there is a lifestyle element to it, and I you know. The, the the woke aspects is definitely not part of any any of my thinking and, I, and like i said i don't want it want it in any of the music i listen to which is again why i love somebody like uh Gull so much because you know the dude is so outspoken and so confident in 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 who he is and uh you know he, he will readily refer to to the woke types as the flock and uh you know i could not agree with him any 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 anymore yeah, and that that calls uh, a story to mind. Uh, like right, we were talking about right around the time of the recording of this record, uh, he had some legal problems, and um, he was in prison for fourteen months. Right around the time he cut vocals on the record, and um, there was a, a confrontation. There was some party that he a late night kind of get together, and there was a confrontation with uh, some guy shows up and tries to come into the house or whatever. And um, he ended up uh, attacking the guy and, you know, they pressed charges and he had to go to jail and pay and pay a 30 grand uh, fee to the victim. And there was a, um, a quote from Gall here. He says, in his own words, I was the one who was attacked, but they think I punished him too hard. As I always say, when people cross my line and I let them know where the line is, many steps before they cross it and still they choose to cross it then i will be the one to decide what their punishment will be <laughs> <laughs> i remember that that's like uh <laughs> words to live by man you know in my opinion <laughs> you know um yeah it's it's a brutal philosophy but i think that philosophy works man and and um <clears throat> i'm um i'm a i'm a big believer in that ideology you know what I thought was very interesting, and you know, I, I I don't know. This is potentially too controversial, but you know, I, I think it's worth mentioning. I thought it was very interesting the response when Gull came out, um, you know, as being gay in, uh, you know, from from particularly the black metal scene. In that, no one gave a fuck. It was like it, it, it I mean, I didn't see a single thing said by anybody, you know, to the tune of "I'm not listening to Gorgoroth anymore." God is dead to me, and you know it. It, it is a, it, it's a scene that has has often been, you know, uh, probably likened to, you know, a very conservative worldview. You know, they talk about elitists. People whine about, you know, right wing influence in, uh, in in black metal. But you know, to a person, you know, including a guy that was in that was jailed for, um, you know, killing a a, a gay guy, um, you know, barred from um, from emperor. Everyone seemed very supportive, and I don't actually think anyone has as as it's not even really been a topic of conversation. Yeah, I mean, there was an incident at uh, I think it was at Vakin, where where the, he also beat up some guy at, uh, at a festival backstage. <laughs> but this guy was uh, you know being homophobic, and and but I mean by and large, no one seems to really care, and I think that's awesome, and I think that uh, yeah, I agree. But you know his history of violence, though, I think that. Taken out of context, you know, you can look at it on paper and be like, oh, this guy's like, you know, he's violent. He's been in and out of jail. He's, uh, you know, beating people up, 
um, all these uh, assaulting people. But it's like, if you really think about the context, like he lives in a small, really, really small town. And they go into that in the Vice documentary about how, how small it was. And there was, I think, two people he went to school with. And one, and the other guy, like in his grade, like committed suicide or something. You know, some bleak, you know, very dark story like that was uh, something that he shared with everyone. And you have this guy who's an outsider. You know, he has his uh, b- beliefs, which are contrary to the Christian vibe of all of Scandinavia for the most part, and specifically Norway. And add to that, he's homosexual. And I imagine with the Christian sort of influence, the small town mindset, creating a very uh, oppressive uh, environment for him. And, and then, yeah, I mean, you know, England, the United States, wherever small towns breed people, oftentimes with small minds and small worldviews. So the outsider gets singled out. And uh, as a result of being singled out, retaliation sometimes is uh, required. And I think that's kind of the story. And, and no one has really actually addressed any of that. They just talk about, you know, his like run-ins with the law and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. The thing is, it's also about how violence is written about in the press, though, because I mean, you've you've done you know uh, Muay Thai training and, and MMA training as 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 have I. If somebody comes into my house un, uninvited, they're getting fucked up, and then and the 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 news headlines will read, you know, black metal podcaster assaults <laughs> would be intruder. Yeah, it's very sensational for sure. It is, and and yeah. uh, you know, and, that, and that's what I mean. There's like no context to these uh, these things, and unless you can connect the dots and read between the lines. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, and also just the idea, like I, I have, I've no, uh, I have a, you know, at least two people that I know that were spent a large part of their life, uh, being closeted. And one person in particular was an old roommate of mine back when I lived in Boston, like eons ago. And he was one of the most violent people I knew always in fights, always getting into fights, always starting fights, always involved in some kind of, sketchy business you know and it was a lot of it was just the the repression of not feeling comfortable with uh you know with with his uh sexuality and um and and just that kind of like constant just pressure and i think that if you add all that stuff together there's no it's not surprising that um that gall has had these uh these incidents uh come up in his life and it's probably, you know, being made to feel for a big chunk of your life like you need to be on your guard. Yeah. Because as you say, you know, you're surrounded by relatively small-minded folks and, you know, you never know what fucking nutcase is going to decide that Jesus told him that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, totally. the gay guy needs to be punished. Well, I was talking about this very same thing with Mike Williams a couple episodes ago. And um, they were talking about the South, you know, and <laughs> and like – my distaste for uh, the Southeast and, and uh, in the United States. And, uh, you know, people will find a way in these smaller towns, you know, like never get off the highway. It's like, you know, it's like uh, Colonel Kurtz and, uh, and Captain Willard, you know what I mean, in, in Apocalypse Now. Don't get off the boat, you know. It's like yeah. when, you're in, when you're on tour and you're traveling through these parts of the country, don't get out of the van. Just stay in the van. Go to the go to the gas station, fill up your get your tank, and get the fuck out of there. 
wait till you're in civilization to stop and get food to eat or whatever. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's like you'd be surprised that people will find a reason to confront you in these fucking towns. And it's happened to me all over the country, man. In Montana, one time we uh, Butte, Montana. This is going back years ago. I thought I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful town. It's like, look at this, wonderful, like big blue sky, like this green greenery and forests, and you know, we uh, we stop and get gas. And uh, I'm filling the van up and some dude in a pickup truck. And this is like, I, I don't even necessarily dress like uh, very outlandish, you know, in my normal life. I just had like, you know, black, all black and like, you know, Doc Martens or something like that on. And uh, this guy drives by in a pickup truck and he, he calls me uh, a derogatory, uh, you know, uh, term uh, about basically saying that, uh, you know, as if it were a true insult, he doubted my uh, my heterosexual nature, and, um, and very, I was like, I was there. Very a pragmatic whole, way of describing the incident. Yeah, I was there for five five minutes, man. You know, yeah. and then being confronted in the southeast, man, just because I had an I hate God T shirt on, and and being like hard, like a hard confrontation with somebody, and I was yeah. like. It, it's it's an ugly truth that a lot of people don't want to even address that you know the heart uh, the heartland you know is is a fucking horrible place a lot of times i i grew up around that you know i grew i grew up around these uh the south african equivalent to that um you know i, I i've mentioned this on my podcast before but i had for about three years of of high school i had a a, a gang of nitwits that were i mean convinced that i was i was capable of uh performing satanic black magic and then i was going to place hexes of them on them if they didn't uh you know take every opportunity to try and beat me up um you know and and it, i mean it got really bad I, I couldn't you know if i went to a party they would inevitably show up and you know problems would uh, would ensue um they waited for me in front of my house one night you know as, as i was skateboarding with a, a bunch of my friends you know got home at about one in the morning and literally there were five guys standing outside my house. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, no, dude, I, I've been on the receiving end of that for, for big, big, big chunks of my life. I know what those people are like. I mean, their, their, their IQ very, very rarely exceeds their age. Um, you know, you, as you, as you grow up, at least you, uh, you can rest easy in the fact that, um, you know, their, uh, their station in life is equivalent to, uh, their ambitions at school. So, <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, I, I, I've, as I said, I've, I've experienced that mentality firsthand, and I, I'm, I'm the same as you. I've, you know, I don't have crazy piercings, I don't have head tattoos. I, the, the most outlandish things get is, you know, the odd T-shirt that I wear that people might not like. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad that people could be so close-minded, you know. But you know, it's, and I feel like at least in the United States, uh, things are they're at a, 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 a critical mass here right now. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, and I feel like at any moment, anything can happen, which is kind of an uncomfortable place to be. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, no, dude, I, I, I follow that very, very closely. So I, and I completely agree with you. It, it's, th I think things across many countries in the West are on tenterhooks at the moment. I, I think the U S is probably the closest to things getting quite seriously out of hand. I mean, it, there are, there are places where it has already gotten seriously out of hand, but I think 
there's a lot of you know it's it's all it's going to take is is one or two unfortunate incidents you know for things to get really bad i uh fearfully agree yeah so you have any uh any favorite tracks on this record exit uh without a shadow of a doubt um the 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 the, the missing track um i think that um the uh the opening song wound upon wound i think it's a perfect track to open up the album because it's just uh, you know, as we've said just violence from you know from start to finish um and then carving a giant uh, i think is just phenomenal i mean I, I think the whole album is is perfect and i think it's perfectly sequenced which you know at least for a period of time was becoming a rarity because i think with stuff like spotify uh you know bands didn't really give a shit about what, how albums are sequenced for, for me that's very important because i like listening to records end to end um but it's perfectly sequenced those but those three tracks for me in particular are the ones that are the the real highlights yeah the first three tracks off the record wound upon wound carving a giant god seed i think are are real bangers and those are probably my favorites uh carving a giant could be considered uh, uh the sort of the hit i guess on that record you know that's that's a lot of people seem to I mean, there was a video for it and that kind of thing. I feel like it was kind of a single, quote unquote, for this record. Yeah, yeah. You know what I love about the the, the record, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm a, a goal fanboy because you know I like the I like the dude, but I'm also you know I'm I've uh, as I said before, there's been stuff that he's done that I've not liked. One of the things that I I love, particularly on this record, I, I think his vocal performance is so good. Um, you know, I, I, my, my favorite black metal vocalists are, are probably Mortis from uh, Funeral Mist and Marduk and Attila from, from Mayhem. And, the, you know, what I love about their, their, their voices is that it sounds so unhinged and out of control. But yet, you know, there's, there's an element of control here. The, Gull's voice is almost me- mechanical in the way that he controls it here, but it, it just works so, so, so well. And he's one of the few uh, black metal vocalists that really gets it, I think, as far as how he phrases his, his vocals or his vocal lines and how he puts rhythm in his voice. Um, I find a lot of black metal vocalists, especially vocalists from Europe, um, you know, the, the, the vocals could very often just be kind of droning screams over the music. And, and sometimes that's fine, but I like that. I, you know, I like it when the, when the voice is like an extra rhythmic instrument in a, in a band. And I, and I think he nails it on this album. Yeah, definitely. Um, I agree that sometimes the vocal patterns can be monotonous in, uh, in, in black metal. And yeah, similar to Attila, who really, I mean, plays around with the phrasing and the vocal patterns. I think, I think Gall is like, he's, he's one of my favorite singers in, in the genre, honestly. Him and Attila are both yeah. my, my two favorite singers. So yeah. So thanks a lot, uh, Jackie. You want to run down where everyone can find you and listen to the show and if they want to connect with you personally? Yeah, sure. So um, Into the Necrosphere is up on uh, uh, on Instagram. Just look for it under uh, at Into the Necrosphere. It's on Twitter under at iNecrosphere. Um, and just look it up uh, under Into the Necrosphere on, um, on Facebook. Uh, if you want to follow me on social media, I'm uh, at demon or demon six underscore zero 
Um, but I will warn you beforehand, if you're going to follow me and you're a vegetarian, it's going to be a rough time for you because uh, I'm, I'm not a hunter, but I, I do like me some barbecue. But uh, you can hear me talk about, or you can see my music posts and stuff on the Into the Necrosphere page. And, and yeah, look, look the show up on YouTube. It's uh, Into the Necrosphere. As I said, it's also available on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Castbox, TuneIn Radio, you know, pretty much any, anywhere and everywhere where decent podcasts are hosted. Um, and I, I put up new episodes every Tuesday. So uh, I actually just did one, uh, a very rare non-interview episode where I went through uh, my hi-fi setup in, oh. in a lot of detail because I'd, I'd kind of spoken to, to people. I'd, I'd, I'd spoken about it a couple of times on the show about you know, high-end audio and then I was sort of getting emails from people where they were saying, I want to – you know, I want to upgrade my stereo and I don't really know exactly where to start. And then I figured, okay, well, I'll do like a virtual tour of my, my setup here because, you know, that's, that's a, it's a sundry hobby to music, but it's one I'm fucking obsessive over. So, uh, yeah, if you, uh, if you want to go check out ways in which you can, uh, upgrade the, the hi-fi game. And as I, as I described in the, uh, in the podcast, foist Sonic Armageddon on your neighbors without leaving the, uh, the sofa, then uh, go check out the new episode. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Jackie. And I'll, I'll, see you, I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, an official Gimme Metal podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. This show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Metal, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Bye.